Ollie, that was a long reading. Appreciate that. Let me just turn the uh, Okay, so here's a question. If faith is simply a one-time acceptance of a proposition as fact, and not an ongoing decision to believe that informs our daily lives, then is it really faith? If faith is simply a one-time acceptance of a proposition as fact, and not an ongoing decision to believe that informs our daily lives, then is it really faith? As we've made our way through 1 Corinthians, one of the overriding themes we have been discovering is that for St. Paul, the Christian faith was indicative. The way people lived indicated their faith, or not. But somehow along the way, the Christian faith has become something very different. An intellectual or even emotional exercise that we participate in so that we will accept certain theological propositions. And once we have accepted those propositions, we are Christians, or not, if we reject them. And I think that exposes one of the systematic problems facing Christianity today. Our faith has become more about trusting in our acceptance of certain theological propositions than it is trusting in the God who is behind those propositions. And I'm not sure that is what faith or trust in God is really all about. I believe there is a world of difference between accepting some theological propositions on the one hand and faith in God on the other. And I think this is what Jesus is getting at in our text today. What is faith? What does trust in God really mean? I believe Beneath the drama of this incredible story, there is a very purposeful teaching by Christ on exactly this idea. The story starts with Jesus somewhere beyond the Jordan, hiding from the authorities. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days, and here he stayed. And while he's there, he receives word that Lazarus has fallen very ill. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Then he sets this whole story up as a teaching moment. He says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through. Okay, there's our hint. We have more than just a dramatic story here. This is going to be a big teaching moment. They hang around for a couple more days. Then he tells the disciples, all right, it's time to go to Bethany. Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, all right, let's go back to Judea now. Naturally, they reject that idea. Disciples are quick, but Rabbi, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there. All right? So the disciples want no part of this. They are still having trouble coming to terms with a Messiah that dies. They still want the Messiah that's going to use human power and human justice and overthrow the Romans and set up God's kingdom on earth. They have no interest yet in this Messiah. But Jesus explains to them, Lazarus is dead, and that's why they're going. 
And then he further sets this up as a very important teaching moment. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Okay, so here we are. Now next in the story, we have one of the most interesting, and at first read, seemingly random moments in all the Gospels. And I bet, for those of you who are brought up in Sunday school, and have heard this Lazarus story over and over and over again, if you were listening as Molly was reading it to us, I bet you were thinking to yourself, hmm, I don't ever remember that little bit before, because everything else sort of overwhelms it. But this is an amazing, amazing little piece. Thomas, the same disciple who would later become known as Doubting Thomas, makes a spectacular confession of faith, real faith, even if he might not have understood it yet. He says, let us also go that we, that we may die with him. Wow. It doesn't make sense to us that he's going to get himself killed, but if that is really what he's doing, Thomas seems to be saying, then as followers of him, we should go to. It echoes two of the most ancient and most authentic of all confessions of faith. One by Job, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him, and the other by Ruth. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. Faith. From our own scriptures. Ancient and profound. The Holy Spirit did an amazing job of getting the author of this gospel to put this little detail in here. It's a massive hint that this story is about faith. So Jesus returns, so Jesus arrives in Bethany, and Martha comes out to meet him, and here the teaching begins in earnest. For at some level, Martha is the main protagonist of this story. She is the one who gets the most one-on-one -on -one tutoring. Okay? It begins with this telling exchange. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Notice what Jesus does. He first gets Martha to reveal her theological knowledge, to reveal her acceptance of theological propositions that she has obviously been taught. And it seems Martha learned her temple lessons very well. She said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She must have paid attention. She also learned her lessons about Jesus very well. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. She sounds like one of us good Christians, doesn't she? Quoting scripture quoting our teachers, quoting good Christian books we've read, being confident in knowing the truth, because we know the truth, and no one else does. But Jesus is not so interested in what Martha knows. He is interested in what she believes. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe me? He wants to know what Martha believes, not what Martha knows. 
Now, to her credit, she is trying to believe. She's trying to trust. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. But notice, notice, she doesn't really answer his question, does she? She doesn't. She just states another theological proposition. It's almost like reading Facebook in the comments. Proposition after proposition, proposition. No one's listening to anybody because everyone's telling everyone else what to believe. Interesting. She's obviously accepted this proposition, but she still seems far from trust, from faith in the Christ. She is really struggling with faith because she can't wrap her head around how Lazarus could have died if Jesus really is the Messiah. I appreciate that. Her understanding of what the Messiah is was very different from Jesus' understanding. Martha, like most of us, wants a God who makes her life wonderful and changes the world with a human type of power, fixes all the problems, especially in our own little lives. Jesus shows up and says, well, well, I love you, and I want you to love me back because that kind of relationship will bring wonder to your life, but as far as my power goes, it, it looks like this. Now here's the thing, Martha. My cross changes the world. But until the end of your world comes, only faith can see that change. Only trusting in me as the resurrection reveals the reality of eternal life. Jesus wants Martha to trust him and not to have faith in her own theological knowledge even if that theological knowledge is as paramount as this particular proposition. And this is a huge proposition. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. That's a massive theological proposition. But see, propositional regard is not relationship. Propositional regard is not relationship. But love, which is what God wants from us, is all about relationship. God's entire redemptive work is because of relationship. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him, relationship. I want to make a side note. You know, one of the main elements of the Cana Community Church vision, for those of you who haven't been here since the beginning of it, was stated very clearly that was not to have more theologically correct propositions, but to simply bring this table, this supper, communion, Eucharist, back into our weekly lives. This feast that God himself instituted for us. See, this is not a proposition the physicalness of this table, the participation in it that we do on a weekly basis, the community of breaking bread together and of remembering together Christ's death, 
being thankful on a weekly basis speaks deeply of relationship. And that's where Jesus wants Martha. In relationship. See, when he finally gets to the tomb, and he says, take away the stone, Martha reveals her lack of relationship, her lack of trust. Oh, don't do this. There's a bad stench. Yet, just moments before this, she talked about believing the correct facts. Hmm. Sounds like me a lot. I got the correct facts now. Doesn't really show up in my life at all. And that is when Jesus begins to bring his teaching to a powerful conclusion. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? You see, it is not trusting that we get it correct. <coughs> it is trusting that Jesus is God and He gets it correct. Trusting He is the resurrection. Trusting that from the very beginning of the world, He was not only slain for us, but He rose for us. Think about that. Jesus' death and resurrection happened before the world was even formed. The Bible's clear. As Jonathan Shipman wrote to me in a brilliant critique of popular Christianity, where is the faith in the power of the resurrection? Where is the understanding that it was done from the foundation of the world and that evil had lost from the beginning? Evil has lost from the beginning. Death has been vanquished before death even happened. Do we believe? so appropriate that someone like Jonathan would have this insight. It's how he lives. He was born with a death sentence. He has cystic fibrosis. But he survives because he knows death ended before death even began. Christ came to reveal to us this mystery. That God loves us, and in his resurrection we live. No matter what kind of pain, suffering, or death we endure, it is only temporary. Life is eternal. That is what we are asked to believe. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is what we're asked to believe. But not as some theological proposition that we accept and then go on living as though death wins and resurrection is an illusion. That's what my life looks like so much. Here I stand, week after week, teaching Christian truths 
theological propositions. And I am as affected by death and sin and illness as everyone else. And Jesus showed up to when he'd ask me every day, do you believe this, David? I don't mean do you know it. I don't care about what propositions you accept. Do you believe this, David? He asks us to believe with our whole being. To hear his words calling out to us from beyond the darkness of this world. Come forth. Come forth. I want to make a suggestion this morning that's probably going to be a little challenging. and might even sound a bit blasphemous, but after being involved in this story of Lazarus for so long, I'm convinced it's not. If we find it hard to live into life, if we find it hard to live into this spectacular mystery of redemption that says we can be in intimate relationship with God, if we find it hard to rise above the horrors of this world, and I know many of us in this little community are in the midst of horrible hells right now, if we remain convinced it is all useless and that there is a four-day stench in our world that can never be cleared away, then I suggest this. We forget about our trust in so many neat little theological propositions and start trusting in the only thing we're trusting in. A God who loves us so much, he would go to hell and back for us. And he will save us exactly because he loves us. Not because we get an A on any test. Because he loves us. Do you know what the name Lazarus means? The one whom God helps. Think about this. Lazarus didn't have faith in anything he could accept or do or think. He was dead. But when the resurrection himself showed up outside his tomb, Lazarus came forth. Born again. Made new. Alive. That is faith in the power of the resurrection. And that is how it always is with the good news of Jesus Christ. When we are least, we are great. When we are last, we are first. When we are lost, we are found. And when we are dead, we are truly and finally. Thanks be to God.